All right. Well, good morning on this Reformation Sunday as we give thanks to uh, God, as we remember Martin Luther and the work that he began, and um, ultimately as we gather in worship. So last week, uh, we took what we what has somewhat become an annual pilgrimage for our family uh, to Austin, Texas, to watch the Formula One race. Um, yeah, you thought we were going to a holy shrine or something, right? Well, the Coda racetrack is pretty holy. So this all began about six years ago when my brother and I were trying to figure out how do we surprise my dad? How do we get him a unique gift? And my dad is super, super, super into cars. My brother is super, super, super into cars. I said, well, let me see if I can find a connection. I'm not as super, super, super into cars, but I'm like, let's see what we can do. So I made a connection with someone in our church who had another connection who had another connection. And the next thing we knew, we were sitting at the Formula One race in Austin, Texas for my dad's 80th birthday, of which we have now done for the past six years, except for 2020, when, of course, COVID destroyed all of that. But other than that, it's a great place to go, great place to watch a race with 440,000 of your best friends, right? Like over the weekend, they anticipated 440,000 people. So on race day, there were like 150,000 people um, watching this race. And so for those of you who don't know what Formula One racing looks like, because a lot of people are kind of always like, well, which one is that? You know, is it NASCAR? It's not NASCAR. Is it Indy 500? It's not Indy 500. Anyway, I've got a picture of it up here that, we, that I took. Um, so these are the guys, and this was awesome because it was a yellow flag at this point. And so what you, if you look, if you know Formula One guys, this is Max Verstappen in the front, Lewis Hamilton right behind him, Sergio Perez right behind him, and Charles Leclerc right behind him. And they're going like all of like, you know, 70 miles an hour. So was, I was like, this is the perfect picture because you never see them this close. So if you're really like into Formula One, you're like, hey, I want to know about Formula One. Here's a, here's a plug for you. Today at one o'clock on ESPN, they're racing in Mexico City. Okay, so just letting you know that. But anyway, so it was so awesome to be there. But, but what's fascinating is to consider the skill and discipline that these guys have to have to race. They go over 200 miles an hour. There's 20 turns in the track. During the race, they experience up to five Gs of force as they're making the turns. Most of them lose about 11 pounds of fluid as they're racing around this track, particularly in Austin, because it was a balmy 92 degrees on race day at one o'clock in the afternoon. But in the midst of all of this, they're like keeping their eyes on the road. They're trying to win the race. And when you go back and you read about how skilled they have to be, the, the, the rigor that they go through in order to be ready for race day, it's unbelievable, the skill that is required. A number of years ago, uh, one of my favorite authors and podcasters, a guy by the name of Malcolm Gladwell, came out with a book called Outliers. And in this book, he came up with this theory, although I think someone else probably came up with the theory, but he wrote the theory that said, Basically, if you are going to become an expert at anything, you need to practice at it for at least 10,000 hours. He said there are no born virtuosos. We all think people are virtuosos, but we don't follow them in their private life to see how often they are practicing their skill, how they have become so good at what they do because of the hours and hours and hours and hours, the 10,000 hours or so of time that they put in to becoming the person that they have become. 
Now, of course, people come along because this is what people do, and some other people came along and said, well, it's not just the practice that you have to do. You also have to have a great teacher because you can practice 10,000 hours and have a really lousy teacher, and it may not come to much success for you. But what you need is a great teacher and a lot of practice. You need to be disciplined. In our text this morning, as we continue our look at talking about how it is that we are spiritually formed by God and the result of being spiritually formed by God, we enter into a conversation or into a letter of the Apostle Paul as he writes to his sort of mentee, a guy by the name of Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor working in the church in Ephesus, dealing with all sorts of controversy, dealing with all sorts of heresies dealing with whatever it is that the church in Ephesus was dealing with. And Paul writes to him in this sort of mentor relationship and says to Timothy, you have to keep going. You have to keep using the gift that God has given you. You have to be disciplined in your faith. You need to practice godliness. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, of what does it look like and to be people who practice godliness. What do we learn from the Apostle Paul as he writes to Timothy, as he tells him to train himself in godliness? So we are in 1 Timothy. We're at chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 7. And Paul writes this, "...have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales." Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. Now, I really like this line. Physical training is of some value. Like when I get up early in the morning, I'm like, I don't really want to go work out this morning. I just come right back to this verse. This is the Apostle Paul, right? Like it's grounded. He's rooted in God. It's all this, you know, I'm like, physical training is of some value. I'm kidding. I mean, kind of kidding. Anyway, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Physical training is a value, but training in godliness is of utmost importance. And Paul is writing to Timothy to say, you've got to keep going. You've got to live this disciplined life. If you are going to pastor this emerging church, because remember this is one of the churches that the Apostle Paul helped to found, if you are going to pastor this emerging church, you've got to be right with God. And so Paul kind of launches into this image of of the athlete, and he does that more so 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which I want to uh, jump back to, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he, he has this image of uh, the Olympics is really probably the background. The Olympics have been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years when Paul's writing. But he writes about the idea of being disciplined in the faith. And this is what he says, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating in the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize." You see, Paul says, when I'm running a race, and as he's thinking about it in the context of his faith, he's like, I've got to know where my finish line is. I don't just run aimlessly. We don't just read the Bible aimlessly. We don't just pray. Well, sometimes we pray aimlessly probably because we're kind of losing our way. But but he's like, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to be focused. You've got to bring it all together and run the race that God has given to you. Because in the end, what you want to receive is the crown of righteousness. That is the greatest prize you can get. What you want to hear when all is said and done, when you are called up to glory, when Jesus returns, whatever it, however all that's going to happen, what you want to hear the Lord say to you is this, well done, good and faithful servant, well done. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy, saying you've got to play the long game. You've got to be willing to run the race. You have to be willing to persevere. You have to be willing to be disciplined in the faith. And how do we do that? I was listening to a podcast this last week, and the guy, and I don't know where the the phrase came up with, came from, but I love the phrase. He's like, if you are going to be successful, you must learn to master the mundane. think about that. He wasn't talking necessarily about the faith, but I think about it in terms of the faith. If we are going to become the follower of Jesus that he longs for us to be, we've got to learn to master the mundane. The mundane, I don't know if you've noticed or not, is not very exciting all the time. But what does God require of us? To sit with him to listen for his voice, to spend time in his word, to be a person of prayer. These seem like mundane things. But for those of you who have practiced these on a regular basis, for those of you who have practiced other spiritual disciplines of fasting, of worship, and all these other things that you could do, you know that those mundane moments are what prepare you for the days and weeks and months and years ahead. It is what allows you to walk through the valleys because you have sensed the presence of God and you know that God is with you even in the most discouraging of times as well as in the most 
encouraging of times because you've mastered the mundane. And it's just hard to do that because we want excitement. We want, um, I mean, I want Bill Lula playing A Mighty Fortress Is Our God every Sunday, right? Like that guy can make the organ sing and it's like drama, like on an organ. And, you know, it's like, I want that, I want that. And it's like, yeah, we don't get that every day. But we master the mundane. We spend time in silence. We spend time in God's word. But it takes perseverance to do this. It takes resilience to do this. I think about Martin Luther. I mean, today we remember that on Reformation Sunday, we remember the work that Martin Luther did in bringing reform to the Roman Catholic Church. Luther didn't want to start a whole new denomination. He just had 95 things he thought were wrong with the church. Just a few things, right? I mean, I wonder how long that note was on the door that he posted in Wittenberg, right? It's like 95 things. Wow, that's a lot. But how did he come to that point? Well, he came to that point because he kept spending time in God's word. He kept listening for the voice of God, and he began to realize that, hey, this whole idea that our works, that, that, that we are saved by our works, and somehow our works earn us our way into heaven, he's like, that's not what the gospel says. And thus began what we now call the Reformation. But just this sense of Luther studying and listening and praying and reading God's word and realizing we're saved by grace. This is what the Apostle Paul says. This is what we strive for. This is what we're about. He says to Timothy, this is what you've got to be about. Be disciplined in your life. But sometimes when we're disciplined and sometimes when we're mastering the mundane and sometimes when we feel as though we have got to, you know, speak into the world or speak into other people's lives or be a faithful disciple of Jesus, we, we feel like we keep getting knocked down. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like the world loves to just play this little battering game, right? So some of you may remember when you were a kid or when you had kids, um, there were these... There were these um, weighted punching bags. Y'all remember that? I got a picture in case you don't remember. Do you remember these? I think we had one with like Spider-Man on it, right? And these things were infuriating, right? Because you'd punch it, you'd kick it, you'd try and knock it to the ground, and guess what? Boop! Right right back up, right? Because it had water or sand or whatever it had at the bottom. I don't remember what it had. And you could not knock it down. And I think about the Christian faith. And I'm like, that's the story of our lives right there. Like the world keeps not trying to knock us down. Life keeps trying to knock us down. But when we are grounded in Jesus, when we are weighted in Jesus, when we are practicing the disciplines of Jesus, and we get shoved, we get pushed, we get hit, guess what? Boop! We just pop back right up, right? And we're ready to go. Are you with me? Because that is reality. I mean, that thing, that little one I drew up found on Amazon where it says, it's like pow, boom, bam. I mean, it's like all this sort of stuff. And it's like, this is what happens to our lives. This is what was happening to Timothy. And Paul keeps saying, practice godliness. Strive to be the best follower of Jesus that you can be. Master the mundane. And then in verse 12, Paul says, here's what you do. And this is true for all of us. 
We are to set an example to other believers. And Paul has this list of five things in speech, conduct, faith, love, and purity. In word and in deed, in our words and our actions, we show forth the love of Jesus. We set an example. And that word for example, I just realized it's 923. I'm like, I'm almost done with my sermon. What is going on today? <laughs> Y'all are going to get done so early. I didn't, get, I didn't get applause for that. Like, I'm letting you all out early. <laughs> like, I'm like, I've literally got two more points to make. I'm like, wow. I've been talking fast today or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, the Apostle Paul says, set an example. The Greek word there is the word topos. And it has to do with, um, it's the word where we actually get our word typology from. So there's this, this, the, this theological term called typology, which is when we um, look through the Old Testament in particular and we see people and um, events that happen that, that kind of foreshadow the arrival of Jesus. There are types, there are topos, the Greek word. Um, you see that in Adam, the, 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 the one who was created perfect, although he messes things up. And so we see all this. But, but what Paul is saying to Timothy is saying, you've got to set an example. And it's interesting who he says to set an example for. He doesn't say you set an example for the world. But instead, he says, you set an example for other believers. Timothy, as you lead the church, as you minister to others, you are to set an example as a way of encouraging one another, as a way of showing others what the love of Jesus is all about. And so I want to ask us, as we think about our own spiritual pilgrimage, our own journey of faith, what sort of example are we setting for other believers, for our family? What, what do people see and what do people hear when they look at us? And particularly, what do other believers see and hear? You, I, you see, I think, I think one of the great things of practicing godliness amongst other believers and followers of Jesus is, 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 is it helps all of us to jump in and want to be faithful together. It is this idea of saying, let's set an example for others. Final thing that Paul has to say to Timothy is in your faith, keep moving. You see, I don't think we, and we probably know this, but we don't ever fully arrive. 
that a part of the journey is continuing to make a progression in being shaped more and more into the person that Jesus longs for us to be. And so I think that's why Paul uses the image of an athlete of saying, you've got to keep moving, you've got to keep running, you have to keep fighting, you have to keep racing. Keep moving toward Jesus and making progress. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. As Paul writes this, he's in prison, which we're going to see. But he uses the same word for progress that he uses, used with Timothy. And just it's translated a little bit different here in, with the word advance. But listen to this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You see, this is our calling in life. Figuring out ways that we help to advance the gospel. That we help to move the needle, so to speak. That we progress in our faith. Advancing our own faith as well as hopefully advancing the faith of others. In Luke chapter 2, when we hear about Jesus, you may recall this, it talks about him growing in stature and in wisdom. And we think about this, this is the Son of God. And yet Luke still says it's important to see how it is that Jesus was progressing. And so for us today, title of my sermon was making progress. It's movement language. I would love for us to reflect on what sort of progress have we been making in regards to becoming a fully formed disciple of Jesus. Think about where you were in your faith three months ago, six months ago. What has changed? What has God's Spirit been trying to show to you? I always laugh. I don't laugh. I'm always annoyed a little bit when my wife listens to my sermons very carefully and then pulls them out when I'm living my life, right? So we were, I don't even remember what the discussion was, but we were having this discussion about something. And she said, do you remember that sermon when you said you wanted to start growing in grace and not just in giftedness? 
like, I don't remember that at all. I'm sorry, honey. I, I'm, I am quite certain I did not say that anywhere near shape or form of any of that. Um, but it's true. I mean, and whatever we were discussing at that moment, it was, it was, it was totally related to that sermon. And, and, but it was, for me, it was so important of saying, you know, that's something that I shared with the church and I keep trying to remind myself of that ever since I've started the sermon series has been, Lord, am I, am I growing in grace? Am I operating out of grace? Or am I just operating out of my gifts? It's much easier to operate out of your gifts, by the way. But when we practice godliness, I am convinced that we grow in grace. So for me, that's when I, when I ask, you know, I think it's sometimes good. I, I ask you all a lot of questions. I think sometimes it's good for me to answer those questions, right? But I think that this, this whole sermon series around being formed by God is so important for us as a church to think about what is it that God is trying to form in my life? And because we often don't do that kind of reflection. We think about the progress we're making in all sorts of other things and all sorts of other issues that we have and all sorts of areas of our life that we need to be making progress in. But God's greatest desire of of your life and of my life is that I make a progression to becoming more and more formed in the person that God desires me to be. Which means I do have to learn how to master the mundane. Which means I do have to persevere. And finally, I need to receive the grace offered to me in Jesus. Pray with me. God, you are good and your love does endure forever. Lord, you call us to be people of discipline. And it's hard There's so many distractions, so many other things happening around us that we miss out on what you're really trying to do in our lives. We don't progress in our faith. And Lord, for that, we repent and we're sorry. But we're grateful for your grace that renews us each and every morning, that allows us to awaken awaken into your creation. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to make progress in our faith. That you would show us what it is that you are trying to do in our lives. And Lord, we would follow you wherever that might lead us. That you would help us to persevere. That you would help us to be faithful. Lord, we are grateful people. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.